0: Please uh, go ahead and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Micah, Micah chapter 2. You'll, uh, you'll get a sense of the people's response to Micah's word found in these chapters in the sermon title, <laughs> Another Preacher, Please. Um, I hope that, by God's grace, that's not our response to, to this challenging word You'll remember that last week we got started in chapter one, and it was a it was a tough tough word. It was an oracle of judgment to the church in Micah's day, and Micah is continuing on that track, continuing his message of rebuke on the wayward people of God. And in chapters two and three, he's going to spell out some of the sins that characterized. Uh, the people of God at that time, particularly covetousness, this uh, this burning desire for more and more and more. And that led, in Micah's day, uh, those who were in positions of power, those who had the means to oppress the poor and the needy in order to get more of what their greedy hearts desired. Uh, One of the features of these two chapters that we're going to look at, we're going to look at chapters two and three today, is the connection Micah makes between oppression and injustice among God's people and the absence of faithful preaching. You should be on the lookout for that as we study this passage together. Preaching was happening in Micah's day, but it was preaching that just told people what they already thought. Uh, what they already believed. It was preaching that affirmed their lifestyle and assured them that everything was just fine. And so Micah makes this connection. He he traces the root of spiritual disorder among God's people to a failure of the ministry of the word in his day. And that has an important lesson for us, I think. And I'll say, these are challenging words for us. I think in our affluence and and comfort and ease today, the Lord has a word for us, and and we need to hear it if we're going to be faithful and obedient to the call of Jesus in our own day. We're covering a lot of ground this morning, two chapters. So let me give you now uh, some headings. We're we're going to consider these two chapters under under three headings. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, uh, we're going to see uh, the oppression described. The op- oppression described in uh, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2. And then we'll go to chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 12, and we'll see the oppressors identified. Micah calls them out. Uh, the leaders of Israel, the rulers, and prophets, and priests are identified as the primary culprits of this oppression. After that, we'll, we'll back up to chapter 2 again and have a look at verses 12 and 13 where we see the Deliverer prophesied. Okay, so oppression described, oppressors identified, and right in the middle, a picture of the Deliverer prophesied. Uh, I'm not going to read all of chapters 2 and 3, but I'm going to read a few sections to give us a sense of it. But before we do that, let's pause briefly and pray and ask for God's help. Let's pray. Lord, this is your living and active word, and we pray now that you would wield your word in the power of the Spirit in our lives and transform our minds and conform our lives to the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with us during this time. Your servants are listening, and so we ask you to speak. Uh, for Jesus' sake, amen. Let's read uh, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 2, first of all. Where Micah says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds, When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks." And you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. And that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, "We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach. Thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. And turn forward to chapter 3. And let's look at verses 9 through 12. Micah says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height." Micah here is calling out the covenant people of God for coveting. This insatiable desire for more resulting in the powerful oppressing the weak. And to make matters worse in this context, the the religious establishment uh, legitimized the powerful's oppression of the poor by catering to their desire for more, preaching only about how religion is all about, quote-unquote, good life. And this morning, as we listen to Micah's message, I think one of the questions we need to be asking ourselves is, when is enough enough? In our culture of consumerism says to us, enough is enough when I have just a little bit more but then we find that that little bit more isn't enough, and so we spend our days in the pursuit of more. Meanwhile, many endure grinding poverty. For many in America, tragically especially for children, while we have the American dream as part of our cultural narrative, many in America experience poverty with little chance of change. And there are the startling statistics of of human trafficking and uh, modern slavery in our our own day, statistics which, frankly, are are so disheartening and stomach-turning that we prefer at times to just ignore them altogether. We know of predatory financial scams that target the elderly, in particular, leaving some of the most vulnerable in society uh, robbed not only of their income but also of their dignity. And we could go on and on listing illustrations of oppression and injustice in our society today and yet yet perhaps because of what some have called today compassion fatigue or because of the politicalization of just about everything our weariness of hearing arguments about oppression Uh, from, you know, thinly disguised political uh, positions, maybe maybe it's become hard for us to, to really hear the Bible's clear call to care for the poor and the needy without hearing it as, you know, some sort of social agenda aligned either to the political left or to the political right. I think that's a real temptation for us when we when we hear the, the challenge of Scripture, the call, really, to care for the weak and the poor. It's much easier, isn't it, for us to politicize the issue and to, to denounce in hostility or to use what we are hearing and what we find in Scripture as a kind of baseball bat to beat others over the head, to win arguments, rather, rather than to sit under and hear God's Word in humility. And yet there is no avoiding the fact, I'm convinced, that Micah simply will not let us off the hook when it comes to the believing community's responsibility to care for the poor. If we're going to hear God's word, what God is saying to us in this portion of his word correctly, we need to understand that while oppression and injustice were everywhere in the world Micah lived in, Right? The Assyrians were the superpower at the, of the day. And Assyria was, was infamous for its injustice and its oppression of conquered people. But what you need to recognize, that actually is not Micah's concern here. That's not his focus. Micah's concern is not to speak to the world at large about injustice It is to call out the covenant people of God when they look more like the world rather than citizens of the kingdom of God. See, the pagan Assyrians were oppressors. They they preyed on the weak and the, the vulnerable. And that would have been no surprise to the prophet Micah because that's the way of the world. But that the people of God might treat even one another, other people that way, with no regard for the poor, well, that is a scandal that the true prophet of God must denounce. And so we need to understand Micah is not preaching what might be mistakenly dubbed as a social gospel, but he is preaching the implications of the true gospel for the way that we live and the way that we seek to do good to our neighbors and live as faithful citizens of the kingdom of God who, for now, are located in a dark and sad world. And we've got to be willing in humility to hear the word of the Lord when what he has to say to us is, is, is I think, going to cause some of us to be forced outside of our comfort zone. So let's start this morning with Micah chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And first of all, see the way that Micah describes the oppression that was so prevalent in his day. You'll see it in verse 1, that, that the way of life for these greedy people has been geared towards consumption. It was all about consumption, gathering more and more, accruing more material things. And it has become such an obsession that they not only spend their daylight hours pursuing these things, devoted to uh, acquiring more material things, but what are they doing when they're on their beds at night? (laughs) They're scheming about how in the day to come, they're going to enact these plans to gather and consume even more. And notice what Micah says, because they have the power in their hands to do it, When the next day comes in broad daylight without any shame at all, they enact their wicked plans. And notice in in verse 2 that the oppression is economic. He's he's condemning here ruthless, predatory business practices which are grounded in covetousness. Look at verse 2, that becomes clear. They covet fields and seize them and houses and Take them away, they oppress a man and his house and his inheritance. See, coveting led these members of the covenant community to oppress others in order to acquire what their greedy hearts desired. And we need to remember, as we, as we mentioned the, the, the language of, of coveting here, that the Tenth Commandment deals not only with the resulting behavior, but also addresses the matter of the heart. It speaks to the level of um, inner desire and heart motivation. God's law shows us that it's not just about what you do, but about what you're thinking, how you're feeling, what you're desiring. And the command not only forbids coveting on the negative side of things, it, it positively requires... a a godly contentment with the portion of the good things that God gives us in this life. That was God's standard in that day, and it's God's standard today. But in Micah's day, the the two great commandments, right? The summary of the Ten Commandments, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself, were being disregarded by the church. Disregarded by the church in Micah's day. To love God. See, remember last time in chapter 1, Micah Micah called them out for idolatry. The language of idolatry was found back in chapter 1. And we're seeing here now as Micah spells this out, that one of the idols that both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel were given over to was mammon, pure and simple. The love of stuff, the love of the things of this world, the desire for riches and wealth and possessions. And what we need to understand is that when the people of God turn away from God and do not love the Lord first in their lives, that will always, always, always have implications for how they treat one another, how they treat their neighbor around them. And here we see that, that because uh, wealth and material things was their God, these people had no regard for the poor and the needy and the disadvantaged in their midst. And so the powerful were preying on the weak, taking away, notice the language Micah uses in verse 2, taking away their inheritance. Now that language of inheritance is, is really important. The inheritance of God's people at this time was not so much, you know, a sum of money that your parents would bequeath to you at, the, at their death and in their will. It referred to an allotment of land assigned to your family in the promised land. It was was a way of symbolizing and indicating that you belonged to the people of God, that you were a member of the covenant people of God, that the covenant promises of God were for you and your family, and that they could never be taken away. And so to lose land and house really was, it meant to lose everything. It was not just an economic problem. It was a spiritual catastrophe. And so you have uh, this problem, people with power and influence and the means oppressing the little guy, destroying the economic and the material and the spiritual welfare of fellow members of the covenant community. And the sad fact of the matter is, it had become business as usual. And it's nothing personal. This is just business. So you can't, you know, you're in debt. You can't afford things. I'll take your land from you. And so in verses three and five, God speaks a word of judgment in the light of all of this. The Lord says, I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. Now, in verse 1, is that verse um, 3 here alongside of verse 1? In verse 1, the oppressors are devising evil as they schemed about ways to, to take advantage of the poor. Well, here in verse 3, God now devises disaster. And it's actually the very same word as the word in verse 1. God now devises evil against them. What I think Micah is saying, Micah is saying that when we devise what God considers evil deeds, God devises what we would consider to be evil consequences. And that's an important principle for us to understand. That when we devise evil deeds, God devises what we would consider to be evil consequences. And friends, we can't lose sight of the fact that Micah here is speaking to the people of God. He's speaking to the church of his day. So we're not to think that the rebuke and discipline of God does not fall, even in this life, upon those who devise evil just because they are not pagans. I'm a Christian, a member of Trinity PCA. I'm exempt from this kind of thing. Micah comes along and says... No, you're not. No, you're not. This is a message for the people of God. Micah's concern here is to shake up those who thought themselves secure in the church of his day, to shake them from their spiritual slumber and make them aware that merely professing faith in the Lord while you lived as an enemy of God is no protection for you from the temporal judgments of God and from the judgments of God in the life to come. Now, Notice notice here the irony uh, in verses 4 and 5. While these individuals are busy oppressing others, they don't seem to care at all about taking away the inheritance of the Lord's people as long as they're lining their own pockets, as long as it's a benefit to them. But when God brings that same thing upon them, what do they do? They cry out. Injustice! No fair, God! Why would you do this to us? Look at verse 4. In that day, they shall take a taunt song against you and against God, and they shall moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. An apostate To an apostate, likely the Assyrians... He allots our fields. That's a summary of their complaint. You see the irony of it. They are whining that God is treating them unfairly when Micah has just called them out for doing the very same thing. It's a reminder to us that the judgments of God are always just and they're always right and they're always according to the truth. And so God's conclusion comes. Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. He's saying you will have no inheritance left to you. No place among the people of God. Those who disenfranchise the poor will themselves be disenfranchised, Micah is saying. And yet in their entitled self-absorption, they, here they are complaining about God taking away their inheritance. You see, it's, an, it's extraordinarily telling, isn't it? It tells you a lot about how they viewed themselves, how we can view ourselves at times. And we have to make sure this, this registers with us, that it comes home because Micah, again, is not preaching to the politicians of our day. He's not preaching to the shakers and movers out there in society. He's preaching to the church of his Day. And therefore the word of the Lord is saying to us today, do not think that you can abuse power and privilege the way the world does and get away with it. You see, the people of Micah's generation had forgotten to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then find that all of their needs were provided for them by a gracious and good heavenly father. They'd forgotten that. And the question we must really ask ourselves today, dear brothers and sisters, is, have we, have we at times forgotten to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to use the resources that he has given to us for the glory of his name? Now, take a look with me at verses six through 11. And this is what I told us at the beginning Uh, to be on the lookout for the way that Micah makes this connection between oppression among God's people and an absence of faithful preaching. We'll see this again in chapter 3, but in verses 6 through 11, Micah anticipates the reaction of his hearers to this challenging rebuke, and you see how they respond in verse 6. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. And I think the first uh, half of verse 11 should also be understood as their speech. So the the quotation marks should uh, include this as well, indicating their response. What do they do? They turn and they preach a sermon of their own. And look at what they say to God's people. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Now, do you see what they are saying? Look, Micah doesn't know what he's talking about. He's off his rocker. He doesn't know God. He doesn't know what he's uh, he's like. That's not what God is like at all. He is patient and kind. And if there's anything to be forgiven, of course God will forgive. It's his job after all. If you jump down to verse 11, you'll see what Micah thinks about this kind of preaching. He, He knows that this is the kind of preaching that the people want. Have a look at verse 11. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the perfect preacher for these people, Micah is saying. That's Micah's assessment of what they want. Give us someone who will cater to our desires. Give us a preacher who will tickle our ears and tell us things that only affirm what we already believe to be true. Friends, isn't that why things like the prosperity gospel are so popular throughout the world today? Isn't that why you know, forms of what we might call a therapeutic gospel are, are so prevalent in our own society today? It's easy on the ear. It affirms us no matter what, and confirms what we already believe. People who preach in these ways can gain a following. It's not very difficult because all it takes is some charisma, uh, the gift of gab, and you can quickly get yourself a following because it tells greedy and covetous people exactly what their hearts want to hear. But dear friends, it's a counterfeit message. It is a total scam. Have a look. Have a look at the second half of of verse 7. And you'll see God's reply to these so-called preachers. Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. And here's what he means. Here is how they live. Here is the oppression described. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Now it's important that children and women are mentioned here as among the most vulnerable. And isn't it still the case that they're often still among the most vulnerable today? It's why uh, James says that religion that is pure and Undefiled before the fathers is to visit orphans and widows and to keep oneself um, undefiled, uh, unstained from the world. But you see, concern for orphans and widows, for for women and children, for the weak and vulnerable, that's a mark of a person's heart and life who has been changed by the grace of God. It is a defining mark of the people of God who love the Lord their God and are seeking to love their neighbor as themselves. But the elites in Micah's day viewed these vulnerable individuals as easy targets for gain. And so verse 10, judgment's coming. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. See, the land of promise, which is meant to be a place of rest for the people of God, a holy place has been defiled by God's own people and therefore they will be driven out and they will know no rest. Instead, they will be taken away into exile by the Assyrians. And later on, of course, the southern kingdom will be hauled off into exile by the Babylonians. So here's Micah's point. Now I maybe mean, it might seem obvious, but we need to remember this: that there is a vital connection between the faithful preaching of God's word and the kind of radical holiness, the kind of radical otherness in the lives of God's people. that that spills over in the way that we relate to the weak and the vulnerable, to the poor and the needy, to widows and orphans. There is a connection between preaching and how we gain money, how we spend money, what we do with our money, the way we care for others. You see, preaching that tickles the ear and is easy on the conscience, telling us, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, disgrace will not overtake us, God loves us, we're the people of God, there's nothing to worry about. Preaching like that results in the people of God living like the world. It results in the cultural captivity of the church and leaves us open to divine rebuke and discipline. And so that's, that's oppression described. And you might be thinking, oh no, that was just heading number one. But let's, let's consider the second here more briefly. And let's go to think about the oppressors identified in chapter three, okay? So in verses one through four, uh, the rulers are mentioned. They're called out first. They prey on the people, notice the language, with such abandon that God compares them to cannibals ripping off the flesh of his own people. And notice this in verse four, when judgment comes, these people will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will turn his face away from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Now, that's a, that's a chilling word, isn't it? But notice it tells us that these folks could turn religion on whenever they needed it. Did you catch that? They could could run to God when the going got tough. They could cry out when things were not going their way. But Micah is telling us here that God is not impressed with sudden displays of penitence or Fleeting displays of religiosity in the midst of a catastrophe. He, he's not misled by these sorts of things. Why? Because God doesn't look at what we look at, He looks at the heart. And what God is after is inside out transformation and renovation, the change of your life so that you begin to love the things that He loves so that his concerns become our concerns. Those who submit to him, who, who trust in Jesus Christ, yes, imperfectly, yes, stumbling along the way, but learning to love and keep his commandments. That's, that's Micah's point here. But that's not what the elites of his day were doing. They, they treat God a bit like an insurance policy, don't they? You ever seen that? Maybe you've tried it for yourself, relating to Jesus like he's basically your insurance policy. In other words, living life on your terms and then when things get bad, something breaks, you turn to him for coverage. Dear friends, please, please hear this. If, if you will not submit to Jesus Christ on his terms, you cannot have him at all. And so Micah calls out the rulers. And then the prophets who were proclaiming these false messages, they're next. They get slapped upside the head. Because they're part of the, the system of oppression that Micah condemns. In verse 8, he gives a word of personal testimony saying that you know his, his punchy expose of the people's sin is empowered by the Spirit of God. That's Micah saying, that's where he gets his his boldness in preaching and the courage to say hard things. But what a contrast Micah provides to the false prophets who were preaching to his generation. If you look back at verse five, you'll see something of the way they went about their their so-called ministries. They cry peace, notice, for those who feed them. And war on those who put nothing in their mouths. And look at the summary statement. Jump down uh, the summary of all the corruption in verse 11. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. You see, you see what's happening the, the leaders and the, the, uh, the elites in Micah's community have the preachers in their pockets, right? And, and so it's no surprise that their message was always easy on the ear, always pandering to them. And so look, brothers and sisters, here's one of the lessons we need to take away from today. The ministry of the word of God sets the standard for the life of the people of God. The ministry of the word of God sets the standard for the life of the people of God. In our day, just as in Micah's, there are all kinds of pressures to recast the message and to change the method, to, to you know, push, push preaching to the margins. All right, here we are in our modern technological age, do people even have the attention span to listen to someone preach for 20, 30, 40 minutes? So let's, let's watch a video. Let's do something else rather than listen to someone preach. Or it's, let's just let's get rid of preaching altogether. Let's have some TED Talks. Um, or let's have some spiritual pick-me-ups. See, that's a real pressure today. I, I've, I've felt it before, not from you, but I've felt it before. This idea of, you know, pastor, give me an encouraging spiritual talk for this week, subtext, or else. (laughs) And the danger in our day, as it was in Micah's, is that people only ever hear what they want to hear when the alarm bells should be sounding. See, it is a real danger for us to think just like the Israelites did. God wouldn't say stuff like that, Micah. God isn't like that, he's he's patient and kind. He would never judge us for how we live or how we think. My friends, that is a flat out lie. And it's a danger we have to resist at all costs. And Micah here is telling us what can happen to the people of God when they do not. So oppression described, oppressors identified, and then finally, take a look back in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, the deliverer prophesied. You see right, right in the middle here of this stinging word of rebuke where you have oppression described, the oppressors identified, you have this glorious word of gospel hope shining through. Micah speaks of a deliverer to come. Have a look at it. In verse 12, this is, a, this is an image of the Lord, okay? And he's described as the good shepherd who assembles his people like a flock in a, in a pasture. And in verse 13, he's described as a, as a king who breaches the siege barriers that have surrounded his people and he goes up before them, leading them at their head into freedom. You see, Micah is talking about the shepherd king, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will have much, much more to say about this later on. But right now, he's giving us a a little cameo, a little picture. Here's a glimpse. Jesus is the good shepherd, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls them uh, his own by name. He gathers them together, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, He goes before them and they follow him because they know his voice and he leads them into freedom. And so the word of the Lord is, as we consider this passage, judgments coming on the oppressors and their pet preachers. But Micah is saying, people of God, there's another way to live. There's another way to live and rescue comes through the shepherd king, Jesus Christ. So trust him, look to him, and serve him. Those who hear his voice and follow him have been delivered from sin and judgment. And one of the great marks of those who follow him is a care for the weak and the poor and the oppressed and downtrodden, widows and orphans, such people will display integrity and, dare I say it, even compassion in their business dealings. They display generosity, hospitality, using the prosperity that God has entrusted to them in order to bless others. So you see, there's a real connection between embracing the gospel and being a good neighbor. You cannot separate the two. There's this inseparable link between submission to Christ the King in our lives and compassion for the needy and hurting around us. However orthodox our doctrine, if we do not show mercy to the poor and needy, if we only ever as a pattern of life look after ourselves, even at the expense of others, then functionally we are denying the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. So let me ask you, this is the pressing question as we consider Micah's message. What are you living for? I mean really, what are you living for? Ask yourself, you know, what do you do with your time? Take a look at your bank statement. (laughs) Do you want a sense of your priorities? When you have a few moments of free time, where does your mind go? What are the things you think about? What are you living for? I am not asking for a canned answer. I'm asking all of us to be honest with ourselves this morning. And let's remember the words of Jesus. Whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Finds it. In the invitation of the gospel it's this. Die to yourself. Die to yourself. Give up trying to find treasure in the stuff of this world and get Christ. Find Christ, the greatest treasure of all. And so let's ask ourselves this question. What are you living for? It, it may just be the word that we need to hear today, a call to repentance, a call to renew our commitment to living for others before ourselves, to leveraging our resources to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, to further the work of the gospel, to care for the weak and the needy instead of just padding our own dens. May the Lord give us grace then to to hear this challenging word And to put all of our trust in the shepherd king who gathers his people and who leads them into freedom. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we ask that you would write this word upon our hearts. That we might live by it to the praise of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.